Welcome. I'm glad that you are here this weekend. On the way in, you're handed the notes. If you want to grab them in just a moment, we will uh, get into the message. While you do that, two quick things. First, uh, every once in a while, we don't do it every single time, but every once in a while, and we're trying to get better and better, and we may end up doing it every time, uh, we want to offer a small group opportunity uh, for those of you who are looking for connection, and even more importantly, you want to take this message past the idea of just conceptually hearing about it and agreeing with it. You want to find out how to actually apply it in your life. Well, we think this, listening to a message is not enough to do that. It's being able to work it out in community is how you figure those things out. So we've put together uh, in this particular series, we're just calling them selfies groups. What you would do, they only last the length of the message. So the commitment is not some very long-term commitment. However, once you start meeting together, if you do want to keep it going, you do have that option to do that. But we're just asking that if you'd uh, like to take it past the idea of just hearing about it, you want to get to the point of applying it in your life, the best way to do it is in a small group. So here's what you do. Our website, jfc.org. On our website, you'll find the banners that just says selfies and uh, selfies small groups. Go right there. Click there. We've got tons of great leaders ready to help with this. It's not too late to sign up. And if you want to take it a little bit further, that's what you do. Second thing, I want to encourage you, if uh, you are a teen considering going to um, the camp next week, let me, let me throw this out to you real quick. Uh, I, I speak a lot, and I speak to a lot of people. doesn't make me nervous. I, you get, like anything else in life, if you do it long enough, you become accustomed to it. You become very used to it. Um, as I agreed to speak at this camp, I am more nervous to go speak to a group of teenagers than I have been in about 20 years. Um, I can't remember the last time I felt as nervous as, as I feel right now, but I'm really excited about this. And I did this for a particular reason. I feel like in some ways church gets so uh, segregated that we've got like, okay, so the adults have this and then the, the teenagers have this, the youth have this, the children have this, the nursery has this. How do you, how do you connect it all so that when, when kids grow older and become adults, they don't feel like, well, that was my pastor and I lost them and I don't know. I'm trying to figure a way where, where our young people cross the barrier and recognize, hey, we've got pastors our whole lives through at our church. So I thought the best way to do this, rather than make them come to me, I'm going to them right into the lion's den next weekend. So... <laughs> So just for Saturday morning, I'll actually be back and I'll, I'll teach, I'll teach uh, next week in here, but I am going to go up Saturday morning. And if you uh, have a teen that's on the fence uh, going, you know, just like, I don't know anybody, I promise you, I will make this a good experience for them. And uh, I, I really do have something in my heart that God gave me. It's just been a long time since I talked to, uh, I was a youth pastor the last time that I did that. And that was back uh, when Dirt was young at this point. So let's, uh, yeah, it's been a while. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into this. And, and we'll go. It's a new series this week called Selfie. Now, we, we adopted it from the idea. I'm sure, I'm sure most of you are aware that in pop uh, culture today, the idea of taking a selfie, even our president uh, has taken a selfie, gotten in trouble for it, but uh, has done that. And so we thought, um, what if we just played off of that idea? We'll invite our church to participate, take a selfie, have some fun with it. But what if we made it about, and I put in here uh, in one sentence, what this entire series is going to be about. And I wrote, growing from self-centered lives to God-centered lives. Growing from self-centered lives to God-centered lives. Now, let me, let me just say this. If you're sitting there and you're like, well, Pastor, you think that all of us are just very self-centered uh, people. I don't, but my wife does. And so she wants me to, uh, no, I'm <laughs> I don't. Here's what I think. I think, 
I, I waited three days to say that. I think, I think that the journey of becoming a disciple, a disciple who, who does what Jesus does, uh, is not an overnight event. Do you agree? Yes. That it takes, it takes a lifetime in some cases. And that that's the very place that we're challenged is becoming like Christ and, and not being people who just live for ourselves and only think about you know, us and just what's around us. And so I think that no matter where you are on that continuum, let's say that you are brand new in faith and you've got a lot to learn about um, not being a self-centered person, or let's say that you've done this for, for, for like you've served for 55 years in ministry, you could still be at a point where you need to learn because as long as we live, we can learn. It's the truth. So I think that there could be something in here for all of us, and I think that you'll enjoy it. You know, I took a selfie uh, hanging out with my buddy uh, Peyton Manning. I want to show you guys this right here. Yeah. Um, this was after the uh, record-breaking uh, 509th touchdown, and I just said, hey, do you mind if we take a selfie together? And he's like, no, go ahead, man. Help yourself. So... Um, I know it doesn't look, I was actually uh, Skyping with him live at the time, so, um, so glad you laughed at that, I didn't know how that was going to go over. If you, if you want to uh, have some fun with us and participate with that and, and send one in uh, on the website again, our opportunities to do that, and we'd love for you just to have some fun with this. All right, let me just quickly give you three thoughts uh, about taking a successful journey. Three thoughts about taking a successful journey. If we're moving from, growing from a self-centered life to a God-centered life, then it's a journey. Right at the transition point, let me, let me say this first. Um, I, the reason I, I'm going to compare this to the idea of taking a successful journey, I don't know about you, um, taking a successful journey is awesome. Uh, have you ever taken a journey that didn't go so successfully? Yeah. You, you ever done that? Chris and I, uh, among my many charms, I can be very cheap. And um, we were in Big Lots several, several years ago. Love Big Lots. Uh, you can find some really cool deal in Big Lots. I found a bin full of atlases that were outdated. <laughs> you know, atlases that you can go on vacation with. And uh, I thought to myself, well, just because it's outdated by four or five years uh, does not mean that you can't make your way around the country on vacation. And they were only a buck. So I'm like, hey, that's a, that's a good deal. And so we went on vacation, and uh, we were in California. And uh, I remember we were right outside of San Francisco. We have uh, family. My mom, at the time, lived up right outside of San Francisco. So we'd gone to visit her. And um, our, uh, our, our youngest three were on a mission trip in Los Angeles at the Dream Center. So we were going to go from San Fran down to L.A. and drive along the coast to do it. So I had my atlas, and I thought, hey, no big deal. Find this, and off we go. Well, should have been a very easy thing, but the map uh, had us turn on this road that went away from the coast. And Chris was like, John, I, I just stay on the coast. I mean, it's good. I'm like, no, the map is going to take us on this really, this is awesome. It's going to be beautiful. So we literally, it was like as soon as we turned, the sky darkened. And that should have been... The, uh, the time, and what set in motion is that she told me to do something else, and I said no. How many of you know, there you go, it's going to start a bad vacation. So we head off down this thing. We had about a half tank of gas, 
And before long, we are driving on this road that has no shoulder to it. It's windy. We're not passing any other cars. We're in the middle of, you know, California can be very beautiful and it can be very ugly depending on where you are at. And we were in maybe the most ugly part of California ever. Buzzards, honest to God, are flying overhead <laughs> while we're on this road. And we get back in the middle of this thing and I get low on gas. There's no cars that were passed. There's no gas stations that were passing. And of course, Chris is just like, I'm just so glad that you are such a leader and have taken us out this, you know, <laughs> something along those lines, right? I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along those lines right there. And I was blessing her in return, like, thank you. I'm so glad that I married you and that, you know, we're together on this. And you know, those vacations where all of a sudden she's sitting on this side of the car and I'm on this side and I'm like, and, and we're driving, and I'm, I'm sweating because I'm realizing we're going to run out of gas out here. I have, uh, you know, uh, cell phones are not working. It's like we went into the twilight zone, and there's the Bermuda Triangle in the middle of this thing. And happens, California was having all of those wildfires. Uh, this is, I don't know, go, what, 10 years ago, 9 years ago, 8 years ago, somewhere in there. And we pull up to the, in this canyon where this raging fire is happening. And only, the only ones back there are the fire department. And the fire department goes, how did you get back here? And I'm like, big lot. This is it right here. Big lot got us back here. <laughs> Needless to say, we made it to L.A. very late that night. Needed help getting gas. It was not a fun, successful journey on that. So with that, um, I'm going to counter that idea with three thoughts about a successful journey because when we travel any place, we don't want to end up in the wrong place. Yep. No matter what we do, we want to go the right direction and we want to have, well, it's, it's to be enjoyable, but it should be something that we get the most out of. So let me just give you quickly three thoughts about a successful journey. Uh, number one, um, start with the correct information. Now, this, is, this is a key piece of inf information. I, I, this last week I was reading an article. Uh, it, it had to do with Galileo and it got into a little bit of Copernicus. Uh, both of those guys... Um, were, were original in their idea of conveying to, uh, to mankind that the earth was not the center of the universe. Up until then, most people, including the church, believed that the earth was the center of the universe, that God had created the earth as the center of the universe and that everything evolved around the earth. That was the common thought at the time. And these two guys stand up and they look at how the celestial bodies move and the shadows that cross over. And at different times, different, different uh, 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 years, they both come up with their theory that the earth is part of the galaxy but not the center of the universe. Everything does not evolve around us. They got in trouble for that initially, actually, and there was a lot of with that, but here's the bottom line. They were right, and why is it important? Because if you believe, if you've got the wrong set of directions when you start out, everything from there is going to be wrong. If you have the wrong set of beliefs and you start out trying to live life with the wrong set of beliefs, it doesn't matter how sincere you are in those beliefs. If they're wrong, they don't help. And directions are the exact same way. If you, if you have bad information going in, guess what? Bad information going out. All right, so here are these two individuals. Galileo and Copernicus make the statement that the earth is not at the center of the universe. Therefore, our map system today of the stars is correct because we now have the correct information. Yep. But let me bring this down to a level in our lives. Many of us are under the false assumption that the universe rotates around us. And we live our lives very much like everything is here about 
me. My marriage is about me. My children are about me. Every problem is about me. Everything that I do, it's about me, 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 me. And we never say out loud that I was created to be the center, but our actions begin to betray that. And when it's bad information in, guess what? Bad information out. And then when we can't get the right result, because this is the truth, you're not the center of the universe. Say that with me. I'm not the center of the universe. If you get that right, it can put into perspective so many other things. But if you hold on to that lie, do you realize how frustrating it would be to try to go through life and prove to everybody that you're the center of the universe? Think about it. So number one, you're going to go on a successful journey. Got to, got to, got to make sure you start with correct information. Number two, how about this? Follow the right directions. Got to go with the right directions. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. I don't know if you've ever heard this scripture, but it reads this way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof ends in death. There's a way that seems right to us, but it can end in death. If you're going to go on a successful journey, it's really important to have the right directions. I don't know about you, uh, this is my sense. Here in Colorado, I can always tell where I am, north, east, south, west, based on what? We all know it. We love it. It works out well. Recently, I had to go to South Carolina, though. (laughs) Does not work. Yeah, you spent a long time looking for the mountains there. It was uh, Pastor Dan, Pastor Todd, and myself. And we went down there. Uh, there's a church there um, that's Seacoast Church. Been, a, been a, a mentor church for us, has helped us so much. They're just ahead of us in space and time. And I go there to seek knowledge and wisdom. And, and I just a shout out to Greg Surratt and Seacoast Church. What a church. What, a, what, a, what an awesome church. But while we're in uh, Charleston, uh, we went out to dinner one night. And uh, Dan uh, had a friend there that, that he was eating dinner with, another pastor. And Todd and I decided to go out to pastor. We, we drove down downtown, and uh, every place we went to was packed with people. So Todd finds this restaurant. He says, let's eat here. So I said, Todd, here's what I'll do. I'll drop you off. You go inside. Get us a table. I'll go park the car. I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> I drop Todd off. I go to find a parking place. I have to park over a mile away. Literally, over a mile away. I jump out of the car, and here, for, I will not ask for directions for nothing. I am a man. It is in me to know these things. So I take off, and I am just sure I drove this way, so I start walking, and before long, I'm lost. And I hate that, because I don't want to admit it, and I'm, I call Todd, and I'm like, hey, Todd, can you stand out in front of the restaurant just in case I need you or whatever, and Todd goes, John, I will send you the locator right now, and it'll walk you right here, and with the right directions, I got right there. It took me 30 minutes to walk there, didn't it? But I got there. And I don't know what it is about just having the right directions versus the wrong directions. Chris, it manifests in her life this way. Every time we get off an elevator, it throws her sense of direction completely off. So if I let her off first, she will just walk away, and I will stand there, where are you going? She goes, I don't know. I'm like... <laughs> Come with me, woman. I'm a man. I know right where we're going. So, <laughs> if you're going to go on a successful journey, yes or no, you got to follow the right directions. Because there's a way, listen, spiritually speaking, 
in this world today, we can look around and we see people who go, I know I have the right direction, but the Bible tells us that many of those ways are going to end how? In death. But if you ask them if they think they're doing right, they will tell you, I'm doing right. So there's a way that seems right, but it's really important to have the right directions. Last, if you're going to go on a successful journey, this is true. You need to get rid of maps that mislead you. I made the mistake of holding on to my big lots, $1 atlas. I actually keep it because it reminds me of the necessity that once you know, listen, once you know that the directions that you were going are wrong, the height of insanity, they say, is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and what? Expect another result. So how crazy would it be if you know you've got a map that's wrong to keep pulling that map out every time? Uh, like, how about anger? If you know that anger only ends up in wrong, why do we pull that map out when we're trying to navigate a relationship? It's just a thought. I mean, the height of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and want a different direction. If we know that something like that always ends in a disaster, why would we pull that out and use it for directions? It's just crazy. So if you're going to go on a journey, I think those three things, a successful journey, these three things are absolutely crucial. And maybe if I was trying to like tell you what we're going to do in this series, this probably gets into some of the ideas right here. But let's, let's go after this and let me get down to it. Let me tell you uh, the real destination of a self-centered life. Let's just cut right to it. Let's go to what the Bible says about this. This is the real destination of a self-centered life. James chapter 3, verse 16. For where envy, and then I want you to see this. And what's this word here? Self-seeking. So you could put in selfishness. You could put in, I'm the center of the universe. You could put in, I'm going the wrong direction. You could put in the idea of, I'm doing the same thing over and over wanting a different result and it's not happening, if you live a self-seeking, self-centered life, I want to show you what the Bible says. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So I put in your notes, that's a big burrito to bite into, man. Because if you think about cause and effect for just a moment, most of us, when we have things that go the wrong way in our life, we love to blame it on other circumstances. If this would have gone the right direction or happened the right, or if I'd have been at the right place at the right time, this one, is it possible that sometimes we can be creating our own stuff in life because we are self-centered people? Allowing an enemy in who then takes advantage of that in us and we don't even recognize it, but it brings so much evil with it when we don't realize that God never called us to be self-centered people. Confusion and every evil thing comes from a self-centered life is what the Bible says. Let me give you an illustration with the enemy. Satan was not created as the demonic force that you know him today. He was one of the archangels that God created. His job literally was the choir director. He was responsible for the music of heaven. Uh, his body, in some of the, the, the uh, scriptures, his body has the ability to, to glow. They, they call him like morning light. And I don't know what it is. He's not, you have to understand, he's not human. He, he, he's, he's angelic. But his downfall came from heaven through these words that we read 
in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, tell of his demise and what called it, speaking of the enemy in first person, but you said in your heart, the devil, the devil said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. Notice the wording here. I will ascend to heaven and I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. So the Bible tells us that where you find self-seeking, you find every evil thing. If you trace that back in its heritage, what you have is that when God created the earth, he did not create it with those things going on. But we have an enemy who got an eye problem. And it's really pride, isn't it? Here's the sin. And he raised himself up. I will be higher than God. I will be the one that is worshipped. I will be the one that is above all. And God actually kicked him out of heaven. And the Bible says a third of the angelic host went with him. That's the demonic that you fight today. That's what God ultimately will put in the lake of fire before it's all said and done. But we find that being the enemy's demise, the way that he got the way that he was. So let me just point this out. If that's what he did, and he's the one that causes us problems, wouldn't he come then to tempt us to do the same thing in our lives? So the original lie, think about this, the original lie that was told to Eve in the garden was, you can be like which is what the devil said. I am going to be like God. And the very thing that he tempts us with and that we're all susceptible to is to think we can be. It's the original lie, man. Me. I'll set myself up to be I. And it becomes a huge issue. And the Bible says where you find it, you find destruction. Every evil thing is happening in that situation right there. The outcome of a self Centered life ultimately is going to be destruction. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Look at this. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. I saw this work out in a practical way when I was a youth pastor one time. I've seen it many times. But the one that came to me when I was studying that I can remember so clearly... I had these two kids in a youth group. In fact, it was the last, last, my last stop as a youth pastor. And I had, uh, I had done it for several years up until then. And I came into this youth group as a youth pastor. And uh, they had had a devastating thing happen with their youth pastor. And they, they, they were hurt kids. Here, here's what I've learned. Hurt people hurt people. It just, it's endemic, it happens. But these kids were, they were a very hurt group, and that's what I step into to try to pastor. And I had these two kids in particular. They were twins. And I had just had twins. And I had a heart for these boys, and they were hellions. In the best sense of the word. My first week there, my first week there, I am doing my very first message I've got the kids' heads bowed at the end of the meeting. I'm giving an altar call, and the police bust in the back doors. Literally, boom, the doors open. Cops come in with their guns out, right? The kids all turn around. I'm like, just bow your heads. It's all good. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's going to be all right. 
The cops come in, they walk right up to one of the twins, grab him, haul him out of there. I find out after the service, he was shooting a gun on the playground of the church right before the start of service. That's the youth group that I came into. His brother, less than a month later, I get a telephone call late at night, and it's their mother. And they said, uh, Pastor, could you come to our house? I said, well, it's like one in the morning. I said, well, so can I come tomorrow? Would that be all right? They said, well, no, uh, so-and-so is up on the roof, and we can't get him down. I said, what do you mean he's on the roof? She said, he's tearing the tiles off the roof, and he's throwing it at the police and at his dad. And can you come over here and talk him down off the roof? And I'm like, just have the cop shoot him. He'll... <laughs> I didn't say that. I did not say that. I got up, I went over to his house, and I yelled up, at, why are you throwing roof tiles? And he said, because I hate my dad. By the time they get him off the roof, they arrest him. He goes, so these kids, <laughs> there were three of them. The two older that were in high school, and then they had a little one. And I could see the way that the little one was going, too. He wanted to be just like his brothers. So I got involved with this family. I love these two boys, and I couldn't figure out. I, I sort of took on the idea that I'm going to save these two boys. So I got involved with them. And as I got involved, I learned very quickly what the problem was. They had a father who lived his entire life for himself. He drank like you cannot believe. This is not a guy who saw alcohol as something to be balanced. It was something to go to the extreme with. The way he spent his money, he spent his money on himself, and he let those boys and his wife live in squalor. He would physically abuse the wife, and the boys would witness this. He would slap the boys around. He was just, you talk about a hardened man who lived for himself. And the Bible says where you find that, you begin to find every evil work. And here's the problem with it. It doesn't ever stop with you. If you find every evil work in that place, you're going to find it in your family. You're going to find it. Now, I know this is an extreme case by far. I'm just trying to tell you a story here. So the dad kills himself. And the boys grow up and, you know, they're dealing with a lot of things. They need a lot of counseling, on and on and on. One of them I was able to reach. And he's a good man today. He's got a family of his own now. He's got children that are high school age. And he's doing well. Deals with a lot of scars from that time, but he's doing well. His brother followed after the father. And we hadn't been here for, I don't know, a senior pastors, two or three years. And I got a call from their mother. And that son had killed himself like the dad had. And I just looked at this pattern of destruction and I asked, what about the little one? And the little one was in jail at that time. And there was just such a pattern of destruction. Now, extreme example, no doubt. But this guy took selfishness to an extreme and his family ate of that fruit right there. And when I think about this scripture and what it says, I mean, folks, it is so, you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. I, in this place, wouldn't leave you at the end of this message with that story. I would leave you with this right here. Let me give you the ultimate contrast in life. 
of a person who never lived it for themselves, but lived it for everyone else, and his name was Jesus. And then let me throw this thought out to you. We're all here today because we love Jesus, man. And we're here today not because we want to hear a story, but because we want to become like Jesus, yes or no? So in the comparison of throwing all these things out, and I'm saying, look, it's not just enough to come and admire him. He calls us to be like him, to live that kind of life. Jesus said, John chapter 15, verse 13, look, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. When I think about that, and I think about Jesus, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying to the Father, and this is what he says, Lord, if it's possible, take this away from me, and then these words, but not what I want, I'll do what you want. That's what we're supposed to do. You want the right map? Look at Jesus. You want the right directions? Read what Jesus did. You want to make sure you're going the right way? Look at how Jesus did it. So what I want to do with this series over the next several weeks is begin to look at what Jesus calls us to in moving from a self-centered existence to a God-centered life. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not enough for you to sit here, hear that message, go, okay, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to live a God-centered life. You don't have the power to live a God-centered life. And if you want to test my theory out, go home and live for everybody else except yourself and see what happens. You'll have a really tough week. So how in the world would you ever even do it? Well, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. But where could we begin tonight? to begin walking down that road? What could we do right here, right now, that if you love Jesus and you're his disciple and you want to have a life that's not built around you, but built around him, what could we begin to do tonight? So we were thinking about it, and I know this is not always your favorite method of communion, but it allows for it to be led in a way where we can take it together. These should have been on your seat. You might want to grab it real quick. Every one of our campuses has this. I want all of you right now to go ahead and get it out. Lakewood, get it. Highlands Ranch, Lone Tree, grab it. Castle Rock, get it out. What we could do, the Bible tells us that the very act of communion, listen, is the act of bringing Jesus into our present. It's not to just go back and remember, wow, he gave his life up. It's to actually bring the fact that he gave his life up into our now. It's never to go and just experience something from the past. It's to make it real right now. Jesus said, when you do this, do this when you remember me, man. Bring me into your present right now. Communion is a much more powerful map then we give it credit for. If we take communion right, it's never about us, it's about him. If we enjoy what's been done for us here, we recognize that he loves us so much, but we're not sitting here going, I must be amazing. We go, he's amazing. That he could love me like that. It's the opportunity, man, to come to this table to have your sins forgiven. If you've lived your life as a selfish person, It's an opportunity to come and go, you know what? 
I want to live my life like you lived it, and I'm going to use this as a stake in the ground to remind myself that it's not about me, it's about you. It's about him. The Bible says taking it in the right manner is crucial. What's the right manner to take this? It should always be this, that you're not sitting there looking at the junk in your life and being stuck on that. You should remember him and rejoice in who he is and what he's provided for you. This is supposed to be life to us, mercy to us, the remembrance of a covenant with us. And it's a great starting place for us that as a whole campus this weekend, we could come together, take communion, and say to the Lord, all right, I want to focus on you, not me, you. Because the first thing you do, if you're not going to be a person who lives a self-centered life, you get your eyes off of you. And you get them on him. Make sense? It's the first step of discipleship. Look, I make this little statement from time to time. Salvation is free. Whosoever will may come. But discipleship costs you everything. Jesus said, he who would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily, we put our eyes on him. Daily, we focus back to him. I'd like you to go ahead and pull back the first part where the wafer is. Get that out, if you will, and then go ahead and open up the juice. Don't drink it or eat it. Just open it up so you have the access to it. We're going to do this together and make a decision together. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He tells us to do this in remembrance of him. So let's put a meaning behind this right now. He unselfishly laid himself down for us. And the call then is for us to lay ourselves down too. For those of you who are willing to say to him, if you will help me do this, I will lay my life down and put my eyes on you. I want you to hold this up. You mean it? Let's eat together. The Bible says in the same manner, he took the cup and he held it up to heaven. He said, this is now the new covenant. It's a better covenant because it's based on better promises with a high priest who is perfect and without flaw. He presented his blood once and for all so that we can be forgiven, but not just forgiven and the slate wiped clean. It's so that every promise that he ever intended for us to have is now accessible to us through Jesus. The ability to live the life that he calls us is in the covenant, not in our ability, but in the covenant that he gives to us. And when we take this, we're saying yes to the covenant. If you want to participate in the covenant, his promises, his life, his ability, I want you to hold this up right now. Father, we thank you for this cup. We remind ourselves that it's only because of you that this is even possible. 
Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. Father, work in us right now. This is not just merely juice that we're going to drink, but we believe that it is your will, it is your life that we take into ourselves. God, we ask that you change us. Make it about you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Father, this simple act of participating in the covenant of communion is really awesome. It gives us the chance right now, God, as a family to go deeper. It gives us a chance as a body of believers who have come together because we love you and we believe in you. That's why we're here tonight, because we love you. And we've come to be with other people who feel like we do about you. God, tonight we focus everything on you and we make it about you. Whatever's going on in us, around us, behind us, ahead of us, whatever it is, right now, we stop and put our eyes on you and magnify you because you're wonderful. And we want to be like you. We want to be like you. We invite the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. The Father's will. Do it in our lives right now. Help us, God. Help us right now. Father, at this beginning place, this is our decision. We want to be like Jesus. Help us to move along that path. We pray it in his name. Amen. And amen. So we're going to just worship and make it about him. Stand to your feet, if you will.